We live in a world where it's offensive to preach the gospel of Jesus and to talk about his name. And I'm here to talk about it. Welcome to the Jesus is Offensive podcast. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Jesus is Offensive podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Werfelman, as always. I hope you all are doing great on this Saturday. I know it's a little late. Um, it's about five o'clock my time right now that I'm recording this. So my apologies for not sticking to Fridays this week. Um, it's just been crazy, crazy good, but stuff came up and we've been busy and uh yeah, so that's why I'm here on a Saturday. Um, but nonetheless, I hope you guys are all doing good. Um, a few announcements, a few little things to talk about up front is one, um, thank you all uh, to anyone who has supported Jesus Offensive uh, by buying any of our clothing this last uh, week. So appreciative of, appreciative of that. And I'm just blown away by um, your guys' support and love for the products that we create. Um, obviously, I say we, but this is kind of something that is run solely by me. Um, so it, it really does mean a lot when you guys support these things and, and help out because uh, this is like my baby and, and um, just seeing it grow and seeing um, the response to things that, you know, help share the gospel and stuff like that is, is super encouraging and exciting. So anyways, if you did order, your order has been sent out. Um, thank you for your patience. And if you haven't checked out our web store, you can check it out at jesusoffensive.com slash store forward slash store. I should say, um, we do, we are pretty much sold out of the hoodies. There are a few more small sizes left. Um, and if you would like to pre-order, we are going to be doing one more, um, run of those hoodies before they are gone for good. If you'd like to pre-order, you can go on the website there, just purchase it regularly and it will be sent out in about two to three weeks once they are finished printing. Second announcement to make is that please keep my parents in your prayers. Um, they are actually on a little mission trip themselves, uh, going out to Texas currently, uh, to go pray for a brother who has, um, cancer and it's very bad right now. So, um, please pray for them that God would do a miracle there. And the person with cancer, cancer, his name is Chris. I ask that you guys could all be praying for him as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're expecting a miracle. We know that cancer is demonic. It is not of God uh, and that we have the ability through the name of Jesus Christ to heal um, infirmity and to cast out demons. And that's exactly what they're going there to do. So anyways, your prayers would be super huge in that. I know they need them. And uh, this is a whole step of faith for every single party involved. So uh, yeah, I thank you guys ahead of time for that. Um, well, without further ado, um, let's just get into today's episode. I am, you know, it's funny before I even <laughs> hopped on today, I was like, didn't even know what I was going to call this. Obviously I posted on the Instagram a few days ago. Um, it was the disciplines of moldability, I think, which is a mouthful in itself, but, um, obviously that's not what this episode is called. I have a feeling I will be calling it, uh, the importance of surrender or something to that. Um, but you know, surrender is a big topic, a broad topic, and I will probably do a, a more, deeper dive study into it, but I just really have wanted to share this story. Um, since the beginning of the podcast, I had uh, wrote it down on my list of podcasts to do this season. And it's about the story in Jeremiah 18 through 19 about, um, Israel being, uh, the pot in the potter's hand, you know, and we've heard these kind of sayings a lot for a long time, you know, the potter and the clay and being moldable and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I read a really interesting take on this and uh, then studied it for myself. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it was something that I wanted to share because I think it was kind of a revelation and uh, very hopeful. And, and, it, and when I was looking through it, I realized, okay, this is really just showing the importance of surrendering uh, your life to God. And that's the only way to be in his will. So uh, without going any farther, let's just pray and then we'll dive right in. Dear Lord, thank you, God, uh, once again for this podcast and for its reach, God, and, and for the support of its viewers, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just send this podcast out to whoever needs to hear it right now, Lord. Just um, allow this uh, podcast to be <laughs> that um, uh, clay in the potter's hand, God, that you would mold it, form it, shape it to what you want it to be, and that it would go out to the people you want. Uh, to hear it, God, and that in the end that it would glorify you uh, over everything. God, I just pray that you'd be with my words, Lord. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Uh, give me um, 
humility when I am not sure about something. Um, and yes, Lord, I just pray that you would be in this today and you would give each and every person listening just ears to hear uh, what your spirit has to say. Um, so we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Sweet. So without further further ado, let's just hop into the text here. And we are going to be in, like I said, go over to Jeremiah 18 through 19. Now, this is a little bit of an extensive passage, but um, I'm going to try to get through it without, you know, um, taking 10 years to do so. So here we go. Um, now, just to give you a little background. So Jeremiah is one of the last prophets. I think actually he was the last prophet to Judah. Um, now, if you don't know what that means, Israel, as it was in this time, which is about uh, 6,000 BC, give or take, um, they were split into two kingdoms. So 10 tribes in the north uh, called themselves uh, Israel. They stuck to that name. And then two tribes in the uh, south called themselves Judah. And now it seems throughout the Bible, they were both wicked and both bad, but Judah was regarded as a little bit better than Israel, which is like, okay, it doesn't matter if you're better, if you're still sinners, but, um, this is also where Isaiah preached to and, uh, et cetera. So Jeremiah is kind of this last prophet warning the people, if they don't repent that, you know, something bad is going to happen to them. Um, so that's kind of the framework for everything. And the whole book of Jeremiah is a lot of prophecies, uh, of him, preaching to the people, um, to try to get them to repent. And obviously when I say preaching, he's prophesying God's words unto the people. Um, so that's why it starts out, uh, chapter 18 with the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, uh, the word that came to the, sorry. Okay. Let's try this third time. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will announce my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was making some, something on the wheels, but the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, I am not, and this is a quote, right? This is God. I am not able house of Israel to deal with you as this potter does. I'm sorry. Am I not able? My gosh. <laughs> okay, Lord, help me. Am I not able, house of Israel, to deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot it, to tear it down or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to... Uh, to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will relent of the good with which I said that I would bless it. So now speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants. So now he's telling Jeremiah this, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, this is what the Lord says. Behold, I am forming a disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Now turn back each of you from his evil way and correct your ways and deeds. But they will say, and, and God's actually prophesying even what the people are going to respond to this message. They will say, it's hopeless for we are going to follow our own plans and each of us will persist in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Just ask among the nations, who ever heard anything like this? The virgin of Israel has done a most appalling thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the rocks of the open country alone? Or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever dried up? For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods and they have stumbled in their ways in the ancient roads to walk on paths, not on a highway to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished, astonished and shake his head. Like an east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. So then it talks about, I'm going to skip this part, but where the people actually rise up against Jeremiah. So Jeremiah goes and proclaims this to the people. And the people are like, let's rise up against Jeremiah. This is not from God. You know, we want to kill him basically. Um, and so we'll scroll down now uh, to chapter 19. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a potter's earthenware jar. And take some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests. Then go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the postured gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Behold, behold. 
I am going to bring a disaster upon this place at which the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. Since they have abandoned me and have made this place foreign and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods um, that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known, and since they have filled this place with blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal, or Baal, which was a, a pagan god at that time, to burn their sons in the fire. And literally this is what they do. They would sacrifice their children just like abortion now. The fire of burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I did not command nor speak of, nor did it even enter my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topeth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but rather the Valley of Slaughter. And I will frustrate the planning of, Jeru- of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. And I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives. So he's basically saying, I'm going to make them, you know, I've always prospered Israel, but now I'm going to make them fall by the sword. And I will make their carcasses food for the birds of the sky and the animals of the earth. I will also turn the city into an object of horror and hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be appalled and hiss because of all its disasters. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they will eat one another's flesh during the siege and in the hardship with which their enemies and those who seek their life will torment them. And so this is what, again, this is all God telling Jeremiah what to do. And we don't actually see it, but Jeremiah goes and actually does this, right? Then you are to break the jar. So this is what God is telling Jeremiah. Then you are to break the jar in the sight of the men who accompany you. And say to them, this is what the Lord of armies says. To the same extent, I will break this people and the city, just as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot again be repaired, as they will bury their dead in Topeth, because there is no one, there is no other place for burial. This is how I will treat this place and its inhabitants, declares the Lord, so as to make this city like Topeth. The house of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will be defiled, like the place of Topeth, because of all the houses on whose rooftops they burned sacrifices to all the heavenly lights and poured out drink offerings to their gods. Okay. I know that's a lot there and it's, we're going to unpack it. (laughs) Um, For one, I just want to say, okay, why, why the old Testament, right? Well, one, we're going to be referencing the new Testament. This is uh, backed up in the new Testament, but also it's important. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can see a lot about God's character by looking at the old Testament and how he dealt with his people, Israel. Israel is a picture of the Christians. Now I'm not saying Israel aren't still his chosen people. I'm just saying that was the initial covenant. This was, God wanted to use Israel to proclaim who he was to the nations. Well, they didn't do that. So then Jesus came and now he chose all men to do that. Um, Just, sorry, just to throw that little tidbit in there. But so again, this also gets in and you will see how this kind of unfolds. It gets into some of the talks about predestination. And I'm not going to go super in depth with this because again, we can have these long discussions about predestination. Trust me, I've had them. I've had these arguments Um, and there are confusing aspects, but I will say that this whole story Um, when you understand what it's saying, it really uh, gives a beautiful view of how God deals with us and and kind of answers the question, is there predestination? Is there not? Is there some sort of middle ground? Um, So we're going to show you that in one second. Let me just grab some water. All right. Sweet. Okay. Um, So one thing to realize before we go into this is just a few things. Um, when you get married, for instance, right, you, you actually lose some of your free will. Okay. Because there's just certain things I just can't do when I'm married. Now, obviously the world in the 21st century tells you, you can do whatever you want. You can divorce, da, 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 da. But in the world that God created, really, when you get married, now you're to put her first, right? Or, or him. Now you're to die to yourself. You can't get divorced. You can't walk out. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. Um, you lose a part of that free will because now you are you and another person have become one and now have to work together to do certain things. Okay. So at the same time, when God marries us, I don't mean this to take away from God, but because us and God are in a relationship or in this case, right, we're using a picture of God in Israel to explain a a larger, broader case of us as his chosen people, all of us as his followers. But if you look at God and, and, and his people or God and us, we have entered into a marriage relationship through baptism, through repentance, through our faith in Christ. Um, you know, it, it talks about this all throughout scripture that we are married to Christ. So in that decision, when I decided to be married to Christ, I lost some of my free will and God also lost some of his. Now, obviously 
in a broader sense, can God do whatever he wants? Sure. But because he's promised to be just and holy and righteous, he's actually limited by those things that there are certain things that he cannot do. God cannot sin. Now, it's a whole nother question is, well, Taylor, are you really saying that he cannot do it? I don't know if he cannot, but the point is he will not ever. And in a way, that's the same as saying cannot because he is so just and perfect that if he's just, he can't do something unjust. I hope that kind of makes sense. Uh, It's a little bit of a paradox, but uh, it's a logical one. So the idea though is that when God comes into relationship with us, he loses some of his free will, right? And and we call that mercy because everyone on the pl- face of the planet, we all deserve death. So the fact that we're still alive today right now means that we are experiencing God's mercy completely. So that's also God limiting himself, limiting his free will. So God does that. Um, and I want to just set that framework because this is really going to help with the predestination understanding and, and surrendering and all these things that we're going to talk about. So now a note about clay. So obviously um, I've learned some of this from doing research, um, but clay come to find out one, it can produce a number of different colors. Uh, it has a number of different weathering, you know, like it can weather in different ways and uh, it can produce many different textures. So there's a lot of different clay and certain clays are used for certain things and other clays for other things. You know, if you go to build a building and you want to use brick, they're going to bring different kinds of bricks that are made of what? Different kinds of clay. Now they're all clay, but they're different kinds of the same thing. So certain clays can make certain things and certain other clays can't make certain other things. Does this make sense? Okay. Basically, there are different clays for different purposes. So you can't just grab some clay and be like, I'm going to make fine china with it. You have to find clay that's going to be moldable and and the right um, aspects to be able to use for that purpose. Now, obviously, I don't know what kind of clay that is, but the point I'm trying to make and the only point that we really need to understand uh, when God uses this uh, picture of the potter is that clay, every single clay... Uh, make something different and and it is limited by the type of clay that it is. Now, obviously, all clay just starts out as a lump, so it still needs someone to form it, but the former is limited to what the clay um, allows the former to do because, like I said, certain clays can't be used for certain things. You can look this up. This is kind of call, common knowledge, but in our day and age, we've kind of lost the understanding because, you know, not all of us are sitting around wheels forming clay. Sounds cool, actually, but... <laughs> um, So yeah, you can't do what you want with the clay. It's the clay that determines its use. So this is very important. So also let's break down chapter 18 and chapter 19. So chapter 18, we see a a clay in a soft condition. Okay. So, um, you know, here in, in 18, one through four, Jeremiah goes down, right? He goes to the potter's house and he went to the potter's house and he's making something on the wheels, but the vessel that he is making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter, right? So the potter's trying to make something, but it's not forming correctly. So what? So the potter remakes it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. So, so overall it was the potter's decision, but his first decision was to form the clay into whatever it was. But because that didn't work out, he formed, he changed his mind and formed it into something else. So I'll give you an example. Let's say he was going to form the clay and he wanted to make this beautiful vase for some flowers and it's just not working out. The clay's not forming in that way. The clay's not allowing him to form it that way. So then he says, okay, let's start over. Let's lump it back. We're going to make this actually just a little pot for like dirt, right? And that day, you know, even they use clay pots for carrying dirt and things of that nature. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of the example of what's going on. It didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to. So he turned it into something else. Um, okay. Hope that makes sense. Um, so again, then you have chapter 19 though, where the, uh, the pottery is completely hard and it's in its hardened phase. And that's when uh, Jeremiah is told to go and break it in front of the people and say, this is what God's going to do to you. Okay. So how does this apply to us? So with God's will, let's take Israel, for example, and obviously it's his same will now for his people, uh, his Christians, but he wanted to make Israel to be this beautiful vessel for God. Remember, he chose these people. He wanted them to be his people, that they would glorify his name, that um, all the nations, right? It says this throughout the Old Testament so many times, all the nations would see that, you know, the God of uh Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true one only God because of Israel and because of the ways they lived and the ways they prospered. So he wanted them to be a beautiful vessel. Picture Israel as a piece of clay. And this is the kind of mirror image or metaphor, if you will, that um, 
God is trying to explain to Jeremiah, to explain to the people that, listen, and, and what does it say right here? Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, I am not able, house of Israel, to do, uh, sorry, <laughs> I made the same mis- dis- dis- mistake. Am I not able, house of Israel, to deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom and uproot it to tear it down or to destroy it. Right, he goes on there. But basically he's saying, he says right here, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, house of Israel. So God is the potter. So you cannot escape the hands of the potter. The pottery cannot, although you have to use different kinds of clay to form different kinds of things, the clay can't altogether just be like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Uh, obviously we know that clay is not person. So um, this is also showing that God is sovereign over it all. God is in control of everything, but he, his control is limited by what the clay allows him to form. And this is very important understanding in terms of the predestination and all these things. And just the idea of as Christians, what we need to look like to be able to be formed by God. So again, he wants to make Israel into this beautiful vessel, but the vessel, just like the potter in verse four, it's spoiling in his hands. And it's not God's fault. It's the people's fault because that they have become the type of clay that cannot be formed anymore into something beautiful. And so the thing is, if you do not respond to the potter's hands, then the potter, just as verse four shows, he will stop forming what he wanted to form initially. He'll change his mind and he will form something else. So in all of this, what is God, what is, what is God saying here? So let's go to, uh, verse seven, at one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot it, to tear it down or to plant or to plan to bring, uh, wait, I'm sorry, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I plan to bring on it. So basically here, the framework is that God has a plan for everything. God's like, Hey, let's say I set up a nation and my point in the nation is, um, to uproot it, to tear it down and to destroy it. Okay. And for whatever God's purposes is in that, that's his purpose. But what if those people turn to me and change? He says, then I will relent and I will change. Basically, I won't bring on the disaster that I promised them. So how does this apply to the moldability of the clay? If the clay is the right type of clay, then obviously it can be molded into the right type of vessel. So if if a piece of clay or like God's talking about here, if, if a nation is only... Uh, a clay that can be molded into an object of wrath, then God will form that thing into an object of wrath. But if they change, if the clay changes, then also the potter can change his mind to form it into something beautiful. Okay. And he continues, or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it, which is Israel, right? He, he had his plan for Israel, his predestination or his predestiny, I like to say, the destiny that he had planned before the beginning of time for Israel was that he would build it up, plant it and bless it. But he says, if, remember, if there's an if, then it's reliant on something that the person does. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will relent of the good with which I said I would bless it. So now speak to the men of Judah against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, this is what the Lord says. Behold, I am forming a disaster against you, devising a plan against you. Now turn back each of you to, from his evil ways and correct your ways and your deeds. Okay, so he's saying, listen, Israel, as I read at the beginning of this podcast, you see they were worshiping other gods. They were sacrificing their children. They had totally forgot about God altogether. And what does verse 12 says? He says, the people are literally going to say, we're going to follow our own plans. And that's never what God had destined for these people. He had destined to be their God, that they would follow him and that in turn he would bless them. See, we always look at the old Testament. God as like, Oh, he's just mean and stuff. No, he wanted the people just to turn and follow him as their only God to obey him. And it's not like his commands were crazy. They, they were actually to protect and to prevent evil in their communities And if they did these things, he would build them up into this beautiful nation. I mean, think about it. He rescues them out of Egypt, right? And then 40 days later, they start worshiping a golden calf, right? It's not God's fault. It's, it's the human's fault. He's like, guys, if you just listen to me, look at everything I just rescued you out of. I want to build you into the greatest nation ever. If I have the power to rescue you from the Egyptians who were at that time, the greatest nation ever, 
guys, imagine the kind of nation I can make you. But what happens, we see throughout all the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Jews, they keep forgetting about God and they keep falling back to other idols. And this is just, we look at that and we're like, oh, that's horrible. This is just a parallel to our lives. Most Christians nowadays are lukewarm. And what do we do? We proclaim God. We have God written on our, you know, money. We go to church every Sunday, probably just like some of these people were doing. They're going to the synagogues. They were playing church, but they were sinners. They were living in debauchery and unrighteousness and, and doing pagan things. And God did not honor that. God did not like that. And so you look at the parallels and we can see that, yes, although this is written to Israel, and I'm going to show you it gets brought up in Romans 9 and 2 Timothy 2, it's actually so important for us to see because God is the same. He deals with people the same way, right? So if we do not repent, okay, then he will then He will bring destru- destruction and disaster upon us. If we repent and turn to God, then he will bring blessing. So again, how does this go back to the, the clay? We are the clay. And like I said, the potter, God, is limited by what we allow him, by how we allow him to mold us. So, right, he's trying to mold Israel into this beautiful vessel for his glory, and they keep going to other gods. So what happened? He realizes that this clay is not moldable for the purpose that I wanted it to. So just like the potter in verse 4, God changes his mind and says, okay, if they don't want to become an object of my mercy and of my glory, then I'm going to make them an object of my wrath. And this gets to the whole picture that God is always going to use every single person. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but he used Pharaoh, right? When when he uh, brought the Egypt, I mean the Israelites out of Egypt. He will use each and every person, saved or not saved, Jewish or not Jewish. He is going to use every person. But as the clay, we, in a lot of ways, determine how God will use us. Because if I'm closed off, if God's like, hey, I want you to go, you know, like Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to the people. Well, if I don't allow him to do that, then how is he going to get me there? Now, it's actually funny. I use Jonah because Jonah, like God took it into his own hands. It was like, I need to get you there. But in most of our lives, if God tells me to do something and I don't do it, God's like, okay, well then, I'll give you up to your devices, right? I'll hand you over to Satan. He doesn't stop us from doing evil. His predestiny for all of us is that we would all do good, that we would all be used for his kingdom and his glory. But if we decide evil, if we choose that as the clay, if we choose to be an object of wrath, then he just forms us into an object of wrath. He helps us. He honors our free will so much that he will literally change his mind and he will form us into what we want to be formed. But in each thing, God will be glorified because what? After this with Israel, if you don't know Jewish history, God basically banishes all of Israel to Babylon for 70 years. They're in exile away from their home. They have nothing. They're stripped. They're basically conquered. They're a forgotten people for a time, but it brought him glory because it showed that this is what happens when you don't obey God. And when they got out after the 70 years, Many of the first generation who got out really worshiped God, really had an affinity for God because they saw what he had done. So he used it all for his glory. He used it all for his glory. But it's our, it, imagine if he didn't actually have to do that. Imagine if he could have just, imagine if Israel would have just repented and turned back to God and God would have been like, okay, cool, I can bless you. I won't form you into an object of wrath. But if the clay is only I'm hoping you guys are getting this metaphor. Remember, clay can only be formed into certain things that the clay deems necessary. So if you you as the clay have chosen that I want to live this life of sin, then the only way God can form you is to be an object of his wrath. But if you have chosen, God, I want to follow you. I want to give up my life. Not my will be done, but your will. You become pliable, moldable, and God can make you into this beautiful vase, this beautiful thing um, that he has planned his whole life for you to look like, for your will, for for your role in the kingdom of God. Now, predestination is to force someone into a certain role, but God just molds us into whatever we decide to be molded as, right? And that's what I said. Like I said, both of us are limited in our free will, right? We limit, as Christians, we need to limit our free will to say, God, your will be done. And when we do that, we become pliable, moldable clay that God can form into something beautiful for his purposes. We can fulfill the plan that he wanted for us by allowing him to work. But if we don't allow the potter to work, if we're a uh, clay that is, um, is, um, oh, what's the word? Um, you know, it, for lack of a better term, we're, we're not willing or we're, oh, the word I'm looking for is stubborn. If we're stubborn, 
um, then it's going to be molded into what we want it to be molded into. So that's why everyone gets mad about, oh, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, that's not fair. Well, it says that seven times before that, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So God said, okay, if you're going to be, if, if you as the clay are making yourself into something that can only be formed into an object of wrath, okay, then I will just help you help to form you in that. So at a certain point, God gives him seven chances. Now he's like, okay, I'm going to mold. I'm going to use you, Pharaoh. I'm going to use you no matter what I want. Of course, God's will for everyone is that they would repent, right? The Bible says that. So of course, God's will, even in that scenario was that Pharaoh would let his people would let his people go and that he could use Pharaoh in another way to show, wow, look at how um, God literally touched Pharaoh's heart. And maybe Pharaoh, kind of like a Nebuchadnezzar story, would have turned to the God of Israel. Obviously, we know that's not the case. So God's like, listen, you're not letting me use you for an object of mercy. So I'm going to use you for an object of wrath. That's what I'm going to form you into because that is what you have chosen to be formed into. I hope that's making sense. The two work together. God doesn't just choose what we do and we don't just choose what we do. We first and foremost, through our free will, we show God what we want our lives to be looked like by either surrendering to him or following our evil desires. And then God forms us into whatever we desire so that he may be glorified in every single way. And you see this all the time that God uses sinners to glorify himself. He uses destruction to glorify himself, to show his Remember when he brought the plagues on Pharaoh, that was to show God's greatness. Yeah, they're horrible to the people and you feel bad for the people at that time, but they were, his wrath was to show his greatness. So sometimes God shows his greatness through his wrath. Sometimes God shows his greatness through his mercy. Okay. So I hope this makes sense. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in my notes, but that's okay. I think it's, I think it's flowing. So again, God, the, the big takeaway is God always will use you in some way. God has a plan for everyone, but we can refuse that plan. And, and like it says right here that God will change his mind. Well, God will change his mind on you too. His plan might've been that you would be this amazing missionary that we'd touch all these people. If you don't accept the call to go to Africa to be that missionary, okay, then God will change his plan. It's not that he won't use you, but the sad part is, is that he will never be able to use you the way that he designed, the way that he initially wanted to. And I'm sure I've done things in my life where I am not living probably, I have not how do I say this? I have not done everything I'm sure that God designed me to do up until this age, age 24. But I'm hoping that in another 24 years, I can look back and say, wow, I gave my will up way more. I surrendered way more and allowed God to form me and mold me so that now looking back in another 24 years, I'm like, man, I really feel like I've done almost everything that God's willed me that, that I have literally walked step by step in the plan that he had for me. So it's never too late, but of course, let's say you're 40 years old, you've missed out on 40 years of what he had planned, but there's still another 30, 40, 50 years left that God wants to use. So God doesn't give up. He has immense patience. And Romans nine talks about that. We're going to get into that, but God will reuse you in some way. And this is why I thought this kind of message kind of comes down to surrendering. We must surrender our will in order for God to form us. This is the picture of being a Christian. It's to allow God to form us into whatever he wants, right? If God's like, hey, Taylor, I want you to go to India tomorrow. I want you to sell everything. I never want you to get married and I want you to proclaim the gospel. And by the way, you're going to get killed preaching my name. Am I surrendered enough to say, okay, God, I'm going to go do that. Or am I too much in my own will? Am I still as that clay desiring to be something that God doesn't desire for me, right? When the potter sits down to make something, he, he wants to make what he wants to make. But if I don't allow God to use me the way he wants to use me, then I'm limiting God and I'm limiting myself too because I'm not in his will and therefore I'm not, you know, getting the fulfillment that he promised for me. But nonetheless, the point is we have to surrender to God's will. And this is the problem with Israel. God's like, if you would just surrender, if you would just turn to me and you would just repent and follow me, I'm not even asking for that much. I would make you the strongest nation in the world, but yet they could not do that. They said, no, we're going to go do our own plans. And what happens? God brought destruction on them. And this is just the picture of hell. The more we decide to do our own plans, the more we decide that, you know, we want to live for ourselves. Oh, self-love. I love myself. Oh, you know, I want to do whatever I want to do. This is about me, 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 right? Yeah. But what about Luke nine twenty three? God said, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, if you want to follow me, you will, you must lose your life. 
Meaning give it up, give up everything. Have you given up everything? Are you moldable or are you stiff clay? And, and here's the, here's the, here's the tough part about this whole story. When you get too stiff, what happens to clay? It forms. You can't remold formed clay. Now it's formed. And the only way, the only thing for at the end for formed clay that doesn't turn out the way the master intended is to break it because it's unuseful. You know, it talks about a lot in the Bible that we are God's workers, right? God is our boss, right? He wants things that are useful. So he's going to make everything useful to him, whether it shows his wrath or whether it shows his mercy. But in the end, the things that are unuseful, he's going to destroy and he's going to send to hell. And this is the picture in, in, um, at the end here where he says, look, go pick up the jar, right? Um, go to the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, which funny thing here, this is where Judas died. You see where it says later they'll call it the, um, field of slaughter. Well, that's what they named it after Judas died there, right? The field of blood. Um, and what does he said? Behold, I'm going to bring a disaster upon this place at which the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle since, since, so why, why is he doing this? Since they have abandoned me and have made this place foreign and have burned sacrifice in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor their kings of Judah has ever known. And since they have filled that place with blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to turn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I did not command or speak, nor did I ever enter into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topeth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but rather the Valley of Slaughter. There it is. And I will frustrate the planning of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who they seek their life. So he's like, listen, you guys are going down. Babylon's going to come in here. He's going to conquer you. And it says here, and I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. Right? So this is what happens when we don't obey. We're broken. He says, to the same extent, I will break this people and this city just as the as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot again be repaired. This is the end. It's so important. What are our idols? What are we worshiping? I know we look at here and they're like, oh yeah, they're setting up other gods. Taylor, I don't do that, but what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping your phone, Instagram, TikTok, um, celebrities, money, uh, fame, whatever it is, just worshiping your freedom, worshiping yourself. Guys, I'm guilty of some of these, like, and I'm working on them. And, and it's our job as the clay to be constantly working as God is constantly forming. And the work that we put in is what is going to allow God to form those areas when we surrender those areas of our life. And in the end, personally, I want to be a beautiful vessel. I want to be a beautiful vase for flowers that God uses that's so beautiful and set apart and just is a reflection of God's mercy. Because we are all under mercy. I do not want to be a reflection of God's wrath. I don't want God to use me as an example. Look at these people who don't repent. This is what they look like, broken in the streets, in hell. We cannot become so stiff to God and his plans when he's trying to speak to us. You know, I talked about this in the seek and find video, but people are like, God's not speaking to me. I'm like, well, what was the last thing he said to you? They're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, have you done it? They're like, no. Okay. Well, why would God say anything more to you? Right? So when we become stiff, when we hear things we don't want to hear, we don't obey and we don't listen. And therefore we fall, we fall farther and farther away from God. We become less moldable and less shapeable. Stop being so stubborn. We have to be moldable. We have to be moldable if we want to make it to the kingdom. There are going to be many things that you and I are going to have to do that are going to be uncomfortable and are going to be terrible and we're not going to like them. But I would much rather get to the end and God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, than to sit back and be afraid and form myself into this stiff piece of, of pottery that's used for dirt, it, it, ignoble, you know, um, uh, purposes. And I'm getting that word from second Timothy, which we'll just go there right now. Um, and this says, so, um, Paul is talking to Timothy here. He's instructing Timothy. Um, and he's, I'm just going to paraphrase here a little bit, but in verses we're in two Timothy two, 
in, in verse 14 through 19, uh, he's reminding Timothy, you know, avoid godless chatter and telling him why. And, 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 um, and, uh, just telling him to stay firm and, uh, all that stuff. And then he finishes here with saying, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So then Paul actually references uh, this Jeremiah verse. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So if we cleanse ourselves from what did it say in, in verse 19, from our wickedness, if we turn from sin, then what? we will be able to be used for special purposes. And this is, again, supporting what I'm saying, that God uses everything. But some instruments are for special purposes, and I believe these are the things that God has for us, and some are just for common use. But if we cleanse ourselves of wickedness, then we can be used in instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. We want to be useful. I know for me as a Christian, I want to be useful to God. I don't want to be wasting my life putting time and effort into things that don't matter. I want to come out being useful, being useful to the master. Even if to me I see, I think, well, this isn't important or I shouldn't do this or why would I go pray for this person? It's like, no, if God is saying this is what he wants, then I want to be useful for his purposes because he's my master, right? So we have the choice. We, this totally wrecks predestination right here because he's saying those who cleanse themselves from the latter, they'll be instruments for special purposes. Made holy, useful, mass prepared to do any good work. So it's on us, just like the clay. If, if we cleanse ourselves from wickedness, then God can actually use us for special purposes. And wickedness isn't just sin. You might say, well, I'm not sinning. But it could even be the sin of idolatry. It could be the sin of selfishness. It could be the sin of literally just disobeying when God has asked you to do something and you have it. It could be the sin of lukewarmness. Are you a go to church on Sunday kind of guy? Or are you a, I can't go a single day without talking about Jesus to someone else. I'll tell you in the last four years, and I want to do a video more on this and like what God has done in my life, praise God, just as a testimony. But I have went from the the first example, the guy that does church on Sunday and looks like a good Christian to the guy who can't go a day without talking about God, reading about God, um, praying, worshiping. It, And it's not to glorify myself, but it's because I've allowed God to form me. And through that, he has formed me and I'm getting harder and harder, but it's hardened in the, in a right way. And this is just all coming to me right now because as the vessel is hardening, right? We only have so much time until the clay hardens, but if the clay starts hardening in the beautiful vase position, then it's it's noble and its purpose is fulfilled for God, right? But in that, I'm trying to stay as pliable as possible. I'm praying, God, please keep me pliable. Please keep me moldable. Shape me where I am maybe strong-willed or maybe I don't want to change or I don't want to give that area of my life. You know, what doors, what rooms in your life have you not opened to God? This is what it's talking about. Where are you not moldable? Where would it be uncomfortable if God said, go do this and you didn't, and, and, and you, you'd had to refuse to do it? Again, remember, God will always use you in some way. But do you want to be used like Esau or do you want to be used like Jacob? So important. God has a predestiny for everyone. So let's go over to um, Romans 9. And then we're going to be pretty much done. This is kind of a short one. And like I said, it's not fully about surrender, but I just love this idea of molding and that it's not fully God and it's not fully us. It's, it's a combination. It's a beautiful marriage that... We allow God to mold us and shape us. But if we stop God, then again, he will mold us into something, but it's going to be that stubborn, ugly, stiff vessel that we basically chose by our own actions. Now, this is a very confusing um, (laughs) chapter here, and I'm going to try to do my best. And again, humility of it is saying, I don't know it all here, but I think we have to take everything that we've read and put it all together. Cause some of this might seem like, Oh, this sounds like it's contradictory, but contradictory. But I think when you put it all together, it makes a beautiful picture. And again, each person is trying to say something different to a different person. Now remember Romans, Paul is speaking to Gentiles and Jews that are trying to coexist together. The Jews are saying, you need to go back to the law. The Gentiles are like, no, we're under the grace, get away from us. Um, and so he's trying to mend the two together. So he first talks about in chapter eight about living by the spirit apart from the flesh, that the flesh cannot inherit anything. You must live by the spirit. And, um, 
now he's getting into uh, the whole idea of kind of the predestination topic that we've been talking about. And I'm actually going to go, I'm going to swing over to Romans 8 because I believe there was something in here that I wanted to say. Um, uh, okay, so this verse a lot of times gets people caught up, but I actually think it's it's a really good verse here because, so verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now people say, so some of us are called and, you know, it's like, okay, just hold on though. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, so there's that word, to become conformed to the image of his son. So those he foreknew that we're going to accept it, what has he done? He, his destiny is that we, his destiny for all of us is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So I don't personally believe this is saying predestined to heaven or hell. This is saying that he is literally, his destiny, his will for every single one of us is to become like his son. That's why Jesus is our example, right? Um, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. So he has a destiny for everyone. He's called everyone. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he has also glorified. Okay. So this is important because now he starts talking about this topic again. He goes in uh, chapter nine, verse six. Um. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not. So he was telling that he has a deep concern about Israel. He was basically saying, I wish I could lose my salvation and trade it for the sake of Israel knowing God, right? And so then he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed because, you know, they have rejected it. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Okay, this is very interesting because remember he was saying, spirit gives birth to spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh. So they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. That, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise as regarded as descendants. So I believe what it's saying here is just because you're born Jew, because remember these Jews in Romans were trying to say, we're better because we're God's chosen people. But he's like, oh, hold on. It's not because you were just born Jewish that makes you better than anyone. It's because you are children of the promise. And what was the promise? That Abraham would have a son and Sarah would bore a son in her late years. And so the promise was all about faith and God chose Abraham for his faith. So basically saying, if you're a son of faith, a son of the promise, then you are a son. It's not just if you were born to Israel. It is, you must be of faith, not of flesh. So, um, again, who are children of God, but the children, uh, descendants of that is not, uh, okay. Okay. Verse nine, for this is the word of promise at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but there was also Rebecca when she had conceived twins by one man, our father, Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad so that God's purposes, according to his choice would stand not because of works but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. So I think he's trying to make, he's trying to establish here that guys, again, you Jews, you're not special just because you're God's people. God has a plan for each person. So when I first read this, I was like, wait, this seems contradictory, but I believe now in some prayer and thinking through it, what God is trying to say, or what Paul rather is trying to say here is that there is a purpose for each and every purpose. So for each and every person. So God's purpose, according to his choice, it's his choice. Remember when the potter sat down to make what he wanted to make with the clay, it was first his choice to try and attempt to make that. Now that person, that pot, that piece of um, clay can, you know, alter that. And then the potter has to change his mind, but God has a purpose for every single person. He has a will for every single person, right? It's that they would all come to repentance, but so again, it says that, you know, according to his choice, so that it wasn't by works, that it wasn't, and he's basically saying again to the Jews here, it's not by the works of the law. It's not by anything that you do in the flesh. God just chooses who he chooses. Um, because of, So it's not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Now, I think what's interesting here is at first I was like, oh, that is predestination. But then I realized it's not saying anything bad here. All God's purpose was is that, the older, which was Jacob, or I mean, the older, which was Esau, would serve Jacob. That was God's purpose for Esau. That, remember, being a leader or not, or being a follower does not denote value. It just denotes um, uh, 
what your purpose is in the kingdom. So God literally had a purpose for both people and it had nothing to do with what they had done. Right. And it was, and it was so, um, God, God's glory could be revealed right through them. And then Paul quotes, just as is, just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau hated. Now this comes up later in the story because why Esau traded his birthright, right? For a cup of soup. Okay. So God's purpose was that the older would serve the younger. Okay. But obviously Esau fell into, by his own decision, gave up his birthright. It was not God who did it, but it was by Esau's own decision to give up his birthright and to choose the soup over it. That is why that God hated Esau because he saw the birthright. He saw the covenant of God as something to be traded for, for food. Like he regarded it as, uh, as having no value. Okay. So very important here. It's, this isn't just saying he basically predestined Esau to be horrible and Jacob to be good. He predestined Esau to serve Jacob. Okay. But later Esau in his own decision gives up the birthright. And so this is why God says he hates Esau because he can, he, because Esau first hated God. Why? How? Because he considered the covenant, his promise as nothing of no value. Okay. So it's really important to understand that. So verse 14, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? Far from it. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will show compassion to whomever I show compassion. So then, does it not depend on the person who wants it, nor the one who runs, but on God who has mercy? For the scripture says uh, says to Pharaoh, quote, for this very reason, I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through the earth, right? So remember I said, God is always going to use you for something, whether you're the biggest sinner, Satanist, whatever, or you're the biggest Christian. So he says to Pharaoh here, like for this very reason, I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power. So Pharaoh, he used Pharaoh because Pharaoh hardened his his own heart. God eventually helped him harden that and used Pharaoh to demonstrate his wrath. Right. And, and also God used Moses on the other hand to demonstrate God's mercy for Israel because Moses obeyed God, softened his heart and was allowed to be molded by God. Verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? On the contrary, who are you, you foolish person, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have a right over the clay to make the same lump lump, one object for honorable use and another for common use? Okay, so when I first read this too, I thought, oh, maybe this is a contradiction because it's the same lump. And I was saying that all clay makes different things. But remember, the lump is referring to humankind, okay? There are different humans. There are different races. They're all human. So what it's saying is God can choose to use one human for this and choose one human for this. But what does he say here? So he says, doesn't he have the right to do that? Yes, of course, because he's God. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with great patience object of wrath prepared for destruction? So he's saying though, like, yeah, even though God can do this, um, and, and he totally is allowed to demonstrate his wrath and his mercy through who he chooses. He endured great patience with the people that he used, um, for the object of wrath. Now, a great example of this again is Pharaoh. God gives Pharaoh seven chances to soften his heart before. What does it say? God hardened his own heart for him, right? So again, Pharaoh was that clay. He, he kept choosing to be a hardened piece of clay. And so God, just helped formed him in that direction and formed him to be an object of wrath because that is what Pharaoh chose by going against the God of Israel. Okay. So again, he had great patience and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon objects of mercy, which he prepared beforehand beforehand for glory, namely us whom he also called not only from among Jews, but also from among Gentiles. As he also says in Hosea, quote, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God, right? So even in God choosing the Gentiles, 
This is God choosing his mind. Why? Because Israel would not be shaped in the way that God wanted to shape them. So he chose to use all of us Gentiles to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill his purposes for him. You're kind of starting to get the whole idea here. So again, Romans 8 can seem like, oh, it's a little confusing. Maybe it's saying predestination, but I truly believe it's saying he has a purpose for everyone. God is totally justified in in using every anyone how he pleases, but he has so much mercy and grace and patience. And just as Jeremiah 18 and 19 promises, if those people would turn to God and repent, then he would change someone that he was going to use for wrath and use them for mercy. And if someone that he decided to use for mercy turned from God and turned to sin, then he would decide to use them for wrath. So that totally X's um, predestination. Because even if, even if, like it says, he is justified in his purpose, if his purpose from your birth was just to use you to show his wrath and to show um, his wrath throughout the nations. But if you turn to God, then he would relent from that and change. So God is always willing to change. He doesn't just set his mind to it and done. He works in tandem with us. It's like speaking in tongues. If I don't speak, the tongues won't come out. It's, it's a, it's a relationship between two people. And this is the beauty of why God describes it as a marriage, because not only does God have a right to uphold, which is to, uh, love us and to protect us as the husband does in a, in a, um, a marriage and to provide for us. But our job is to submit to God. This is, this is the woman's first job is to submit to her husband. And so us as representative of the woman in this metaphor of being married to Christ, our job is to submit to him, is to completely surrender and say, God, I am yours. If you ask me to do this, I will do it. If you ask me to do this, I will do it. And again, looking at it in the marriage sense, remember, um, uh, Sarah, right? She lied, right? To obey her husband and God counted her as righteous. She did something wrong, but because she obeyed her husband, which was to obey God, because God was the covering of her husband, Abraham, God blessed her. So in the same way, even when it sounds crazy, even when it's like, what God, like you want me to go overseas to preach the gospel to people who want to kill me? If God asks you, then we are to obey and what? We will be counted as righteous and he will form us into a noble vessel that is able to be used for his purposes and is able to fulfill every purpose, every plan that he set out from the beginning for our lives. He has a plan for each and every one of us, but it's totally up to us if we want to give into that plan or if we want to resist. And let me tell you, for two years, God showed me, hey, this is actually my plan for you. He opened my eyes. He removed the veil. He removed my lukewarmness. And guess what? I ran from God. I didn't obey for two years. And I probably missed out on a lot of things that God could have done. But God, like it says here in verse 21, he had patience. He had patience. I'm sorry, 22. Verse 22, he had patience and kept waiting, kept working on me. And I allowed myself to be formed by God. And he relented in his judgment on me and instead allowed me to be used as his vessel. Oh, so I hope this makes sense. <laughs> I know I say that a lot, but um, the clay decides, but the potter will always have the last word. And this is how God works. He gives us a decision, but once we choose, he will have the last word. He will guide us in that decision. God will use you no matter what. And it'll always glorify him. This is why God runs the world. Everything will glorify him. Even the evil will glorify him. I'm sorry, not the evil, but the wrath is what I meant. Not the evil of the devil, but um, the wrath that God bestows on the earth. And let's be honest, guys. He's had a lot of patience with all of us. I think we all need to go to God after this and just, God, I repent. I'm sorry, Lord. I repent. So please, God, also repent. You know, God repents too. God, repent and please accept my repentance and turn your judgment, your wrath away from me. And and God, let me be under your mercy, you know? And what does the word say, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So we are all under mercy. If you're breathing right now, you are under God's mercy because of your, because because of your sin, you should be dead right now. But because you are alive, you are receiving God's mercy in this minute. So in view of God's mercy, what are we to do? Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Meaning, literally, I'm already dead. So God, you do whatever you want with me. I'm, I'm a dead body. My desires burned. My wants 
burned. My selfishness burned. My pride burned. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So good. This is surrender. What, what, what else did Jesus say to follow him in order, and how to surrender? How to be moldable clay? Then he said to them all, Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And if you have a Jesus offensive shirt, it's actually on the back of your tag if you didn't know. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So how do we surrender? We have to lose our life. We have to totally be moldable, pliable. God, you do whatever, you shape us however. All of us want to be something in life. But being the perfect moldable clay is basically throwing away that desire and saying, God, you can make me into whatever. You want to make me into this ugly pile of poop? Then go for it. And, and who, was, who was the only one lump of clay that responded perfectly to the potter's hand? It was Jesus. What did he say? I only do what I see the Father doing. Every time, I only do what the Father does. You know, he even asked, God, take this cup from me. But he asked God. He didn't say, God, I'm not going to go through this. He asked God, God, take this cup from me if it's your will. And remember how I was saying, if God wants to form me into an ugly whatever, then go for it. What, what does it say about Jesus? There was nothing about him to attract our physical eye. There was no physical beauty. Jesus said, make me whatever. Jesus should have come as the most beautiful human to rule, to reign. That would have been his desire, right? That would have been to show, look at how great I am. And that's what all humans wants. We want, God, show everyone how great I am. Or, or I want to be famous. I want to be this or that. But God, even Jesus humbled himself to be that perfect lump of clay to say, God, make me nothing so that I may serve these people. That is our image. That is our image of surrender that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Powerful. And listen, if this is you right now, you're saying, yeah, I've been running from God for however many years. Don't condemn yourself. Instead, turn to God, just as the Israelites had to, and say, God, I repent. I'm done with that. Throw away the idols, just like they did. Burn up the altars, just like they did. Take away, cut that arm off that's causing you to sin. God will still use you, even if you've wasted time in your life. God still wants to use you. Don't listen to the lie now that, it, oh, it's too late. God wants to use you, but you must surrender. Most people in the church today, we are not moldable. We are not pliable. We have our own plans. We have our own agenda. We have our own Instagram bio. We have, you know, this is me. This is who I am. I love myself. And, and you know, I want to be this, 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 this. And that was me. I wanted to be all of these things. But now I want to be what God wants me to be. And that's even how this podcast got started up again. For one, when it first got started, God told me to do it. And I didn't really want to do it. But my sister got a vision. It was so clear that God was telling me to do it. And I knew I have to do this to be pleasing to God. And now when I took a year's break or whatever, or made a few episodes in a year, God again showed me, you need to be doing this. And I was like, how am I going to do that? I can't even pay my bills. I can't put time into something that doesn't make me money. He's like, you just need to do it. And I did it. And God's been opening all these doors now for work and for, for job opportunities and things like that. I'm saying all this to say that when we allow him to mold us, it's so good. It's so worth it. But we have to surrender even when it doesn't make sense, even financially when it doesn't sound right, even when it sounds crazy, or even like Moses when he says, God, I can't speak to the people. And God's like, yes, you can. Surrender to me. I will do the work. Oh, man, so good. So I hope you guys enjoy that. I just really love that story of Jeremiah 18, 19. I encourage you to read it for yourself. It's just, it's powerful. Like when, even when I started reading it, it all started clicking in my mind. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, 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 yeah. It's such a great metaphor for how God works with us. And I personally, I just want to be moldable. I want to be pliable. I want God to have a joy in forming me. Not like he's always having to change his mind or always having to start over. And I pray that you feel the same. So Lord God, I just thank you for um, this podcast, thank you for bringing understanding, 
and wisdom, Lord. And I pray that if I said anything that is not of you, God, that is not of your word, God, that you would erase it from these people's minds, Lord. But I pray the things that were from your spirit, God, that were not from my from my mind, but from your spirit, God, that they would be proclaimed throughout the nations, God, that they would be proclaimed in these people's minds and in their hearts, Lord, that it would dig deep, it would take deep root. And even in my heart, Lord, God, that we would surrender more, we would give up more, Lord, so that we could be moldable and pliable, God, and allow you to shape us, not for us to choose who we are and what we want to be. And God, but you would allow your perfect will, Lord. And I thank you, God, for in my life, God, you showing me, I, I wanted to direct movies. I wanted to be famous or whatever. And you showed me that this life is so much better when I just listen to you and, and allow your will to take place in my life. And that was scary at first, God. So I just share that, Lord. I pray that you would just um, encourage each person listening. It is scary giving up your dreams, but that's what you called, Lord. You said for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. We have to lose our old life. But whoever loses their life for me will be will save it. Lord, help us to lose our life for you, God, so that we can be molded into this beautiful, beautiful vessel for your good. Right? This beautiful vessel, Lord. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work, Lord. We want to be used by you, God, but we know first you have to form us into something usable. So we just thank you, Lord, and we just praise your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, I thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that one, and we will be back with another episode on Friday. Have a blessed weekend, um, and I'll see you guys then. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Jesus is Offensive podcast. If you liked what you heard, we're on Instagram. Check us out, Jesus is Offensive. Uh, Or if you want to check out our website, jesusisoffensive.com. We have more podcasts on there. You can check that out at the podcast page. Uh, We also have cool apparel and another collection we're releasing on January 13th. Uh, And if you like what we're doing over here and you want to be a part of it, you want to make a donation, you can go to our about page uh, and you can donate there. And if you'd like to get in contact with us for prayer or questions, uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, Our email is hello at jesusisoffensive.com. I really appreciate you guys all tuning in and we will see you guys next week.